Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. World champions, another decisive and historic victory, a $24 million settlement that aims to right wrongs and forge a new future for women's soccer. The end of a six-year-long legal battle pitting the four-time World Cup winning U.S. women's national team members against U.S. soccer, coming with the sport's governing body saying it has committed to providing an equal rate of pay going forward for the women's and men's national teams. You have a weird way of talking, lady. Too breathy. Um, Not only that, but that was an editorial. That wasn't a news report. No, we'll talk more about that in a second. Let's hear from a couple of the biggest stars of the game, Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe. It is a huge win for us, for women's sports, for women in general. Um, and it's a moment that we can all celebrate right now. It's, it's a really amazing day. Um, I think we're going to look back on this day and say this is the moment that you know, U.S. soccer changed um, for the better. Okay, so back to the editorial that was a news report with this uh, person talking about, uh, you know, righting wrongs. Writing what wrong? The fact that people weren't that interested in women's soccer, so it wasn't worth enough to advertisers, which meant there was no point in paying the players that much, and that changed because the women's soccer team got so good, so now they've decided it is worth that much to advertisers, and it is worth that much to pay the players. Um, more so or as equal to as pain because I can't name a single male soccer player in America. Um, so for, I, I don't know. It's always seemed like such obvious economics to me. If enough people watch it, the players will make more money. If they don't, they won't. The end of the story. Well, that's not the end of the story, though. It's even more complicated, and luckily it's kind of in favor of the argument you're making. The uh, the women, and I remember this from the last time we talked about this. I don't have it at my fingertips, but uh, the women on the soccer team, they negotiated a number of things which they considered very, very important that aren't of monetary value but are a factor. They wanted more people on the squad. They wanted more of the gals to keep their jobs, which is a very woman thing to do. They wanted, uh, you know, uh, benefits to do with family leave and stuff like that. They, they just wanted other things and they accepted more money. The idea that because a negotiation got settled, that it's righted wrongs and, 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 and made clear that, uh, that, that the evil has been overcome and American soccer, U.S. soccer has admitted something. No, they, they had employees who were pissed, thought they weren't getting enough, uh, a good enough deal. They had a long, ugly negotiation with them and then finally came up with a number that both could live with. I, I mean, that's all that happened. And I assume that they got to a higher number because women's soccer is popular enough that it draws enough advertising that it's worth it to pay them that much. If it wasn't, they wouldn't. Is this going to expand to other sports? Many hope so. I can give you an example of the highest paid contract for WNBA. You look at a player now, and they, arguably the highest paid contract is $150,000. Most of these women, Jake, then have to go play overseas when their season is over to make perhaps maybe a million dollars. And while that sounds like a lot, imagine working, you know, 10 months out of the year with very little time off, and it's unfair. <laughs> okay. So they're trying to extrapolate this to the WNBA. Well, here's the big difference, as I already said. Um, women's soccer is bigger than men's soccer in terms of attention and eyeballs, at least from my observation in recent years. I don't know anybody who watches the WNBA, and the men's NBA is one of the biggest sporting things on the planet. 
Uh, yeah, that was Carrie Champion, whose work I don't know, seeming to make the case that uh, it's not clear what she was even arguing for. That clip wasn't very informative. Um, was she hinting that WNBA players should be paid more or equal yes. to NBA guys? Or yes. What? Yes. Really? Yes. That the That's disparity, insane. the disparity in pay between men in the NBA and women in the WNBA is uh, somehow. Like, orchestrated by who to just, what, punish women basketball players? It's sexism. It's paternalism. Uh, by the way, i got to dispute it l- l- at least a little bit, uh, the whole women's soccer is bigger than men's soccer thing. I mean, in terms of attention in the U.S. and what we hear about, um, maybe, but it's a giant global business, the whole World Cup circuit and the rest of it. I mean, it's an enormous business, and I'm pretty sure the men's game is oh, I'm sure globally, and, and there's revenue sharing and stuff like that. Worldwide, without a doubt. But in the United right. States, I've heard way more about women's soccer over the last 10 years than men's soccer by far. Right. By the, 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 the U.S. women's team versus the U.S. men's team. But, yeah, they're, they're not dividing buzz, though. They're dividing revenue. And I'm saying the revenue for the men's game is, is ginormous. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know anything about this. I don't know how they structure the advertising. But if you put on a in the United States, if you have the women's soccer team on NBC, you're going to get way more advertising revenue than you would for the men's game. You'd have more eyeballs anyway. I don't know how they structure the contracts. Okay, fine. I assume that's interesting, but it's a global business is what I'm saying. So, you know, it's like saying that of, uh, you know, Ford, for instance. In the U.S., they're smaller than GM, but globally, blah, blah, blah. So, anyway, uh, I wish the WNBA players uh, luck getting LeBron James-style how, deals. How? I, I ask this question completely, honestly, and not, like, trying to insult anybody. How does anybody with an eighth-grade education or above <laughs> not understand that? If more people watch, you'll make more money. And I don't care if you're a man or a woman or a child or armless. If 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 more people wanted to watch seven year olds play croquet, <laughs> I'd watch that for a while. Then watch the NBA. Yeah. They would make more money than LeBron James. It's just the way it works. Almost immediately. Yeah, it's just the way it works. Right. Right. Well, it's because ideology is a lens, and it it, it uh, twists people's vision, and it makes them say ridiculous stuff. By apparently. the way, a member of the staff made an untoward joke during one of the commercials. Oh, really? In which they said, you know, people are not going to pay a million dollars to see a layup mm. about the WNBA. That was um, untoward. I don't, <laughs> I don't watch the WNBA, and uh, and and I don't know much about it. But I will say this because my I have a niece who's just an absolute stud basketball player, like just freaking crazy good and uh has to been raised up various levels to play with competition her level and everything like that but my brother said if you haven't seen a high school girls basketball game it's completely different than it used to be he said it is completely different the speed the score the ability is just night and day from when you know we were in high school and i haven't seen a high school girls game so i don't know i believe that i 100 percent believe that absolutely true and and they're really good ball players they work really hard they should be proud of what they've achieved yeah apparently at the the same time you remember though the the women's soccer team took on like a a boys high school team and got beat a while back (laughs) so there's that i don't i don't remember that that's what happened yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, I, that is a weird thing. Well, there's how much of it is um, uh, misogyny 
Because I remember back to my youth, Gladys. Jeez. You know what? She and uh, the, she and the other w- old woman who plays the organ for Mailbag, they formed a union. <laughs> oh, Mabel? I mean Mabel. Mabel and Gladys. And now you can't get them to do anything. They're now unionized. And yeah. you, she doesn't pay attention because it's hard to fire her. It's really hard to fire her now. Wow. We could get another World War One veteran. <laughs> this who can is play Joe the Biden's harp. America. Huh? <laughs> so Gladys playing the harp. What was I doing? Oh yeah, I was like thinking back to my high school years. The um, the the gym would be empty late afternoon for the girls' high school game that was from like six to seven, and then people would start filing in toward the end of the girls' basketball game. You know, talking and everything like that, not paying attention to the game while it finished up. And then the gym would be packed for the boys. Misogyny. That's right. Well, what do you what do you credit it to? The, Misogyny. I mean, because the quality of play in in reality in small town middle of nowhere, the quality of play wasn't that great for the boys or the girls. But the boys was better than the girls. You know, I, if I was trying to, I might be able to make an argument that traditionally boys' sports are paid attention to and a point of pride for the town or whatever. Uh, and that's just based on paternalism or misogyny or sexism or something like that. I, I don't really believe it, but there could be an element of that, a social element. That, well, I don't people, know. Sports fans always make the argument that it's the quality of play, but that doesn't completely make sense. Because if you just cared about quality play of basketball, a WNBA game has way higher quality than a high school game. For instance, you're more interested in going seeing your boy's high school game. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's an odd comparison, though. I mean, just, I see what you're saying, because if it's my kid, that's that's different. Yeah, I don't go to, that's true. I don't go to random high schools to watch basketball, period. Right. Choosing that over a WNBA game, for instance. I do remember my school, um, tiny town, middle of nowhere, the girls, did they win this? I think they won the state golf tournament. Uh, the girls' golf team. And the scores they shot on the same course that we were practicing on were just shocking to us how high they were as the boys. It was like, really? That makes you state champion? That score? Wow. Wow. There's no need. This is this is making me uncomfortable now. If trans had been a thing back then, I'd have done it. I'd have gotten onto the girls' team. Could have been the state champ. Could have been somebody. <laughs> Could have been somebody. Could have yeah. changed my life. Not the S-storm that it is now. Final note, and uh, I would have been—I'd this... have been like Uncle Rico. I'd have been the high school girls' <laughs> golf champion. Napoleon Dynamite reference, if you need one. Um, so uh, it went early in my radio career when my salary was eight hundred dollars a month. A month. Um, lucky. I. <laughs> I I would do uh, play-by-play and color commentary for uh, sports to earn an extra. I can't remember. I think it may have been like $15 for play-by-play and 5 for color commentary or 10 or something like that. Five um, bucks. Five or 10, yeah. I mean, as an hourly wage, it was like nothing. Yeah. But anyway, so um, I would do women's uh, high school, girls' high school basketball. Uh, I would do any game I could get just because I needed the money. Sure. And famously, I was doing play-by-play for a high school uh, girls basketball game that at halftime was four to two. And yeah, yeah. And uh, and I had to keep it positive (laughs) and like exciting because it was being listened to almost exclusively by parents and of of the kids and other parents at school and stuff like that. Sort of by definition, if you listen to these games 
just because you're interested in people you don't know in right. a four to two halftime score. Brought to you by Jim's Diner, where the sunshine omelets only a dollar ninety nine on Tuesdays. You know, and um, we're doing those ads and stuff like that. So you had to. Keep I could it really eat more cool. omelets than South scored the first half. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so you, did, I, you didn't uh, say things like that. No, no, I didn't. But trying to keep it positive and like, oh, great effort there, almost uh, at the rim. <laughs> <laughs> for a four to two game. Uh, by the way, just to, you know, to finish the story, things really opened up in the second half, and it ended up being like twelve to eight or something like that. On that free throw, the ball very nearly ten feet. So that's <laughs> that's a, that's good news. That's a victory in itself. <laughs> it's baby steps, Jim. Baby steps. <laughs> um. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, text line four one five two nine five KFTC. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So we have a little bit of breaking news. We're going to talk more about Ukraine and Russia next segment as that continues to be a giant story, I think. Uh, I think if you think it's not, you're really wrong. But um, a mass cyber attacks happening against the Ukraine government as we speak. So uh, everybody has said the big invasion will start with mass cyber attacks. Mass cyber attacks are going on on government websites in Ukraine right now. Um, the only reason I'm not certain this is the beginning is because there have been mass cyber attacks. The biggest cyber attack in Ukrainian history happened a week ago. Although uh, some cyber experts I heard said that probably was poking around, seeing, okay, we are, we're into this. This is the way this works. Okay, this is connected to that. It was just basically doing the research for the big cyber attack where they bring everything to a halt as they right. uh, drive tanks across the border. Yeah, exactly. Planting, you know, sleeper cells, computer sleeper cells, as it were. Jeez, I hope our cyber soldiers are are as good as we ought to have. Uh, Also, next segment, and uh, we'll see if we have time. We'll share a very small part of the president's utterly uninspiring speech and some of the reaction to it, including... Uh, those who are generally on the right who seem very, very sympathetic to Vladimir Putin. I'm trying to figure out what's going on with that, uh, including Mike Pompeo, Tucker Carlson, and others. So stay with us. You know, I, I didn't get to this yesterday because we ran out of time, but we were talking about the radical DAs and the uh, decriminalizing crime policies and the rest of it, and the, the fact that that's disproportionately hurt people of color, black people. Uh, in particular, although plenty of Hispanic people too, and some of the numbers are shocking. Um, and it just it, it it makes it clear that either these ideologues are too dopey to understand what they're doing, or they know what they're doing doesn't make sense. They're just trying to you know bring the system down. They're just trying to reform the system. But New York City, for instance, skyrocketing crime rate, murders went up fifty two percent from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty one, shootings up a hundred and four percent. Car theft nearly doubled up 91%. And in uh, 2020, black New Yorkers were victims in 65% of the murders and 74% of the shootings. And so while these great enlightened BLM policies are put into effect, more and more and more black people are hurt, murdered, shot, etc. It's just crazy. 
The news fool is weird. We're a weird species. And I don't know if it's just now, but culturally speaking, the stories we don't pay much attention to are wild. You would think the fact that people have stopped having sex and having babies, the fact that murder grew at the people are having less sex and having babies at a lower rate ever than ever in the country's history. You would think that the murder rate jumped the highest amount probably ever in our country's history. And there are a couple other examples of that would be non-stop roundtable discussions in all of media to try to figure out why. But we don't. We talk about other things. Well, maybe it's, uh, how do I put this? I think it really shows what the powerful media and the powerful, powerful people really care about. And that's their power. That's what they want to talk about. Who's in? Who's out? Who's ahead? Who's going to get an office? Who's going to you know be able to exploit it? You can throw Maybe the that's border. Why talking about you it. can throw the border in there. We got more oh, people. Great example. We got more people crossing the border illegally than ever. Than ever. And it's just hardly a blip of a story. And and being transported by the tens of thousands into towns near you and supported with your tax dollars. It ought to be an enormous story every single day, but it just kind of filters away. Stores that can't stay open because uh, you can rob them blind and nobody stops it. That's an amazing thing. We talk about it a lot, but it's just kind of, you know. Eh, I'm busy playing Wordle or Call of Duty or what have you. Yeah. Uh, Russia, Ukraine, the very latest. And if you miss an hour, get the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. He's setting up a rationale to take more territory by force, in my view. And if we listened to his speech last night, and many of you did, I know, he's, uh, he's setting up a rationale to go much further. This is the beginning of a Russian invasion of Ukraine, as he indicated and asked permission to be able to do from his Duma. Yeah, the old Duma. So uh, our president gave a speech yesterday. Apparently, I got the news alert. I thought, oh, what the heck, I'll flip it on. It was like most of his speeches were. He announced uh, various sanctions of various significance. I just kind of like this clip because it's so Joe Biden. Clip 33, Michael. Who in the Lord's name does Putin think gives him the right to declare new so-called countries on territory that belong to his neighbors? This is a flagrant violation of international law and demands a firm response from the international community. Well, they asked one of Putin's spokespeople, what did you think of the president's speech? And he said, we didn't watch it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's what I thought. I just thought that clip had a bit of a bi-cracky feel to it. Oh, oh no doubt. Dag, dag nabbit. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't know who that's for. Domestic, our consumption, I guess. Putin's, well, Putin. You're the alleged leader of the free world. You jump up, you say something. Yeah. It certainly is not going to deter anyone. It's certainly not going to deter Putin, who may be crazy, by the way. As we mentioned earlier, the Wall Street Journal has an article out today, and I've seen a number of these now over the last several days, people thinking that Putin is unhinged. He's not a rational actor. So trying to predict how he's going to, uh, you know, what would uh, motivate him to do this or that, it's tough if he's not a rational actor. Macron of France said he's gotten weird over the last two years in my phone conversations. So something about the pandemic or age or who knows what has made him a little nuts. Oh, my gosh. When you layer that on top of the obvious complexity of the geopolitical issues, you've got to have your greatest thinkers, your greatest leaders uh, leading, which brings us to a uh, clip 44. 
I mean, listen guys, we're talking about the potential for war in Europe. I mean, let's really take a moment to understand the significance of what we're talking about. It's been over 70 years. And through those 70 years, as I mentioned yesterday, there has been peace and security. We are talking about the real possibility of war in Europe. Uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, that may be the worst stupidest of all of her terrible stupid quotes. <laughs> worst. I mean, listen, guys. I like the listen, guys. Listen, guys. She's I mean, listen, guys. In, she's in Europe talking to Europeans who are seeing war unfold on their continent, ravaged by World War II, saying, listen, guys, this is the possibility of war. Really, war. And they're sitting there thinking, yeah, we know. <laughs> I mean, listen, guys. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That was so um, dopey. She is so incredibly uninspiring. Uh, Leon Panetta, former Secretary of Defense, NCIA director under a couple of different presidents, um, he said today on MSNBC that I think at what at stake is whether we've learned the lessons from World War II that you can't allow a tyrant to invade a sovereign democracy and get away with it. He added, I've always felt very strongly that the American people, as much as we detest war, recognize that we cannot allow a bully and a tyrant to be able to suddenly take over sovereign democracies. That was the lesson that came out of World War II, that if you don't stop a tyrant now, that ultimately you will have to face him later. I don't know if he was asked specifically about you know, U.S. troops, but he sounds like a guy that could justify that there. Yeah, don't don't end on the dot, dot, dot there. You got to say, therefore, we should, which is where it gets really tough. Yeah, no doubt that that is where it gets difficult. Um, I had one more thing I was going to say. Oh, you know, uh, the best point I've heard on this in the last couple of days is that former ambassador to Russia under Obama, who's shown up on all the shows. He's a really interesting guy and knows a lot about it. But he said, look. Putin has uh, launched four wars in the 22 years that he's been president of Russia. He attacked Chechnya in 99. He went into Georgia in 2008, Crimea, Ukraine in 2014, Syria in 2015, and he's won all of them. He's, he's successfully pulled off his objectives in every single one of those instances. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't he think... He's going to do that again. I think he is. We talked to Mike Lyons, military analyst, earlier, and I said, I, I see no reason to believe that we just now have to, don't now have to just redraw the maps, because now he runs that part of the world. And he said, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, what he did in Syria was as, as bad as anything that's happened in, in forever. He's bombing hospitals and, and little kids in schools. And the world didn't stop him. He accomplished what he wanted to. He beat back the revolution, and his uh, his you know his puppet is still in charge there. So yeah, right. he's he's won a, a this front four times. Well, whether Putin's a little nuts these days or not, he's always been calculating in that he looks at whether the uh, the opposition, whoever that might be, is willing to spend the blood and treasure it'll take to stop him, and calculates calculates. No, I don't think they are. 
And he's been right. And I think he's right here as well. Why Americans should care about this from Ukraine's own foreign minister mm. in a moment or two after a quick word from Simply Safe Home Security, beloved sponsor of the Armstrong and Getty Show. And we appreciate that. Hope you do too. Uh, we're big fans of the new wireless outdoor security camera from Simply Safe. Let you know what's happening outside right from your phone and alerts you whenever anyone approaches your doors. Yes. Yeah. Very, very cool. Simply Safe has everything you need. Um, monitored 24-7 by professionals ready to dispatch police, firefighters, EMTs, whatever it is that you need. And what does it cost? Simply Safe is less than a dollar a day. You can set it up in around 30 minutes. No long-term contracts. I know somebody right now who wants to do Simply Safe, but they're already in a two-year contract with somebody else for a system they don't like and don't use. Don't yeah. do that. Probably a great expense, too. Customizable for your home. It's easy to do. Just a few minutes. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. One more time, that's simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Once again, we mentioned this a few minutes ago. Ukraine's government is announcing that there's a cyber attack underway on many of their government ministries, knocking their websites offline, which everybody has said would be the prelude to the big invasion. So that might be what's happening today. Oh, before we get to the foreign minister, um, how long is... I'm, I'm looking for that other tape. We have so much interesting audio for you. What time is it? Yeah, we can do it. Uh, hit us with that Jennifer Griffin report in uh, uh, number 62, Michael. This is just really interesting. The U.S. and some NATO allies became aware of Putin's plans in October and began aggressively building a coalition. This video from December 27th shows Russian ultranationalist Vladimir Zhirinovsky addressing the Duma and spilling the beans on the time and date of an invasion. At 4 a.m. on February 22nd, you'll feel our new policy. I like 2022 to be peaceful, but I love the truth. For 70 years, I've said the truth. It won't be peaceful. It will be a year when Russia once again becomes great. On this day eight years ago, February 22nd, 2014, a day of humiliation for Putin when hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians rose up in Maidan Square and the Russian-backed Ukrainian president, Viktor Yanukovych, Putin's puppet, fled to Russia. Wow. So we didn't pick up on that in the West, but evidently that date stuck in Putin's craw and he was going to take back Ukraine on that day. That's a weird way to make military decisions. Oh, of course it is. Yeah. And uh, as we were talking about yesterday, our government says that they have hit lists of people that were involved in that overthrow of his guy that they're either going to assassinate or put into concentration camps. Um, as soon as they go into Ukraine. So, yeah, that really stuck in his craw. Generally, you don't make good decisions when you're focusing on revenge as opposed to just accomplishing things, but we'll see. I've never been a megalomaniac dictator. I don't know. Maybe it helps. Who knows? Uh, so, uh, to quote the late, great Larry King, by the way, something, what do you care why you should care about uh, the Ukraine situation, according to the foreign minister of Ukraine. This is uh, clip 56, M-Dog. But for the average American sitting on the couch at home, why should they be concerned about what happens with Ukraine? Three simple reasons. First, the, in 1994, Ukraine abandoned its third largest nuclear arsenal in the world. 
in response for security guarantees promised to us by, some, by a number of countries, including the United States. America always keeps its promises, and uh, we did something which to, to strengthen world security, something that was in the interest of the United States back in 1994. It's time for America to stick to its promise and pay back and make a contribution to our security. Second, if Putin succeeds in Ukraine, this will send a message across the entire world that the West is incapable of defending what it stands for, its principles and its interests. And other players in other parts of the, of the world will challenge the United States based on them. And third, dear Americans, trust me, Ukraine is a very nice country. We've been fighting this war because we want to live in peace and prosperity. And uh, we're just worth being supported. I agree with him. I don't think most people are paying attention or care. They're going to care here in about two days when gas goes up a dollar a gallon. And everybody's saying, what the hell? And, you know, you do a little digging and figure out why. I think maybe then people will understand. I don't, I don't know what the reaction of most people is going to be. But that's yeah. when it's going to get the average person's attention when they see gas spike here really quick. Well, for the 4,000th time, any uh, international treaty or agreement lasts until someone strong enough to tear it up tears it up. Uh, but that the whole 1994 agreement thing bothers me a great deal. As he was saying, America always keeps its promise. And I could hear the bitter laughter of Afghan translators and all oh, who are oh, still yeah. hiding from the Taliban. And it sickens me. It angers me. It hurts me. Yeah, so I got into this pretty deep the other night for some reason. The Budapest Resolution, that's what that's called. But it was written in such a lawyerly way that technically you can easily make the argument that we didn't commit. I mean, you, you have to go down the, the what the definition of is is road, and you technically mm-hmm. would be right. But everybody knows what the spirit of the damn thing was. The spirit of the thing was, you give us the weapons, you don't need them, we've got your back. And we violated that. We're violating it right now. It's, yeah. it's not cool. Do we have the will to do what needs to be done to resist Putin? No. Should we? That's up to you. Some say yes, some say no. We'll get into some of the naysayers in a bit. Well, you know, you, the argument I always come back to, because I, I, my brother is retired now, but he went to uh, the Middle East a whole bunch of different times in his life. Um, uh, I, I use the because it's the easiest way for me to focus my brain. Would I be okay if he was getting sent to Ukraine to defend this? Not if Germany doesn't seem to care. Not if, you know, not if a whole bunch of the countries that are right there don't care enough to put blood on the line. I'm not cool with our guys doing it. That's a pretty fair standard. I hear you. Uh, your thoughts. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. This is going viral. A journalist in Ukraine was reporting the news on the Russia crisis in six different languages and nailed it. Check this out. There's been a war with Russian-backed forces. Whoa. Uh, he also knows six different ways to say, I'm ready to leave Ukraine now. Okay. 
We can make this a Zoom. Yeah, that's all good. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to figure out this whole do you need to get a booster shot or not story. It's It's weird. It has become very clear to us that there's a certain segment of society that's in love with masks and vaccines. I mean, you just can't get enough more shots for some reason. Like, I'll get it if the smart science says you need one, but I'm not going to get it just because I get some. I feel like I get some street cred for having more shots than you or something. So I mentioned that the New York Times, it was a breaking news story early in the week. Uh, get a COVID booster, you probably won't need another for a long time. And the point of the article in the New York Times was there now are a bunch of studies out showing that you probably aren't going to need a booster shot, that the shots you've already got, the um, the efficacy lasts a lot longer than they thought. Huh. Okay, regardless of the fact that the New York freaking Times, citing multiple store, store, uh, studies, Ran with that story in recent days, and actually Tim Sandifer compiled this for his Twitter feed yesterday. He put that back-to-back with a CNN story from yesterday. A fourth COVID-19 shot might be recommended this fall, officials say. And the and then another one from The Hill. FDA considering second COVID-19 booster in coming months. Based on, like, one person's recommendation, maybe, they love the headline of another booster, as opposed to the headline of... Hey, multiple studies are saying you don't need it. Right. Why are people so in love with more vaccinations? Just I don't know. The same reason they wear masks alone in the park. It, it's who they've become. COVID uh, vigilant is my identity. That's it, who I am. It, I've heard people talking about, uh, you know, um, trouble letting go of the pandemic. Is that it? It's just like it being over is going to be painful for some people or yes. like a disappointment i can't yes. wait for the moment this freaking is over and i never want to hear another word about it again in my life and i hope i never have another mask on again in my life but you you believe there are some people that it's going to be tough to let go of more shots and masks undeniable wow 100 percent. their I, tribe their affiliation their sense of belonging and their sense of purpose is i'm super vigilant about covid i do not get that emotion <laughs> at all yeah no kidding no kidding crazy people oh, oh speaking of the vid there was something else i was going to say about this oh yeah these every newsroom has a roster of doctors and they they know who's going to say oh you probably ought to get 20 or 30 boosters probably one a day for the rest of your life <laughs> <laughs> and so that's their freaking headline in spite of all the science. We're following the science, my ass. Anyway. I uh, represent science. Oh, sorry, my mistake. So uh, I, speaking of uh, tin horn dictators and, and, and charlatans, uh, Gavi Newsom, the governor of Cal Unicornia, has got to be increasingly frustrated. School district after school district openly announcing, yeah, the whole mask mandate in schools not around here. We're making it optional. Kids, do whatever you want. The latest Rancho Santa Fe school district in the San Diego area school board saying parents should have the right to decide what's best for their children. Now, it was just a 3-2 vote, but it passed. Uh, they voted this week to make mask wearing optional. What the uh, hell is going on? Board Vice President Annette Ross told Fox News, it's important we listen to the parents in our community. That's why we're elected to the board. They've stood before our board in tears asking us to offer a mask option. Uh, so we're doing it. Our decision was met with a standing ovation. So I, I read from um, the reasoning of one superintendent who had emailed a constituent the other day saying, look, our 
insurance company, our liability insurance company, said we need to follow the rules or we could be in some big you know, trouble liability-wise here. Mm-hmm. So are other schools ignoring that or it's not true for them? That's the only part I don't get. Well, that's it's an interesting question. I can't answer it. Uh, I mean, I can guess that some districts say to their insurance company, uh, we'll just go somewhere else then. F you. We don't care. Or you're just ignoring because, man, the greatest lesson we talked about this the other day. One of the best lessons I ever learned in my life is that lawyers will always tell you better not always. And you have to at various times just say, I'm going to I'm going to roll the dice um, uh, because they'll always tell you don't always. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I was just going to say, and the school board probably thinks nothing's going to happen anyway. I ignore lawyers' advice all the time. And so far, never to my peril. Not right. Um, because they will always tell you don't. Right. Right. Indeed. Uh, so anyway, good for you, uh, Rancho Santa Fe. I think that's fantastic. I, uh, I've i got to believe uh, the idiot governor is uh, aware of this sort of thing. More and more school districts, more and more parents, more and more kids are saying, no, I'm not wearing a freaking mask. There's no reason to in school. And I would encourage you to do it. If you want to do it, do it. Take it off. So weird, though. It's mandated by the state. Public schools, some of them are saying, now nah, we're going to ignore it. And then the state doesn't do anything. No. No, they don't because they know they don't have the will of the people on their side. Well, they're right; they couldn't do anything. But so, but then, so what is the relationship between the people and their government at that point? I think Gavi and people like him get credit in the bluest of cities for continuing to be part of the vigilant against COVID tribe. They don't. People in the bluest cities aren't aware that kids all over America haven't had masks on for a year and a half. They just don't even know. Interesting. Uh, if you miss an hour, grab the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.